we've been for the last couple weeks talking about this whole concept of what is next. Um, in times like this, when we're coming out of one thing, moving on to another thing, we need to catch a glimpse of what God is doing. And we've been kind of referring back to Proverbs 29 each week. I want to read it for you again, verse 18. It says this, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble <clears throat> all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most Blessed, And I've repeatedly told you that I think our country is in a time where we're kind of stumbling all over ourselves and we kind of need to catch a glimpse of what God is doing so we can kind of get back on the straight and narrow path. This week I had uh, a reminder of what it's like to stumble all over yourself. How many of you remember like six months ago I started renovating a bathroom? Do you remember that? Way back, way back in the day and I whined and pouted about it. I'm still whining and pouting about it. But I kind of got started on it again. This week, I picked up the mantle again, and I started trying to do it. And I had that wall that I told you was a load-bearing wall, and I was now afraid to take it out. You remember that? What happens if you take out a load-bearing wall? Anybody know? It comes down. Yes, the house falls down. Thanks, Mark, for your encouragement and your positivity. I appreciate that. The whole house just right down. Anyway, I'm stumbling my way through this project. But I got to tell you, I made some progress. But here's the thing. What my problem has been is the plan, figuring out the plan. What do I do with this wall that may or may not fall down if I take it out, or, you know, or the ceiling? How do I fix the ceiling, which is all covered in mold? Yikes. How do I deal with this? How do I? And so when I started to put a plan together and I actually saw the path forward, then it became easy to jump in and start moving it. And I've made several steps on the project. The bedroom side of the project is ready to tape and mud, which I will leave to my good friend Ryan Aldrich who's going to come over and help me with that, because Tori won't let me do that. So anyway, um, I have used power tools and not injured myself. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. God is good. Anyway, but you've got to see the path forward. You've got to see the plan. And, and like most of us, when it comes to construction projects, I'm kind of stumbling around in the dark. This is not my forte. It's not what I'm born to do. But if I see the plan, I can find my way through. Some of you today might feel like, man, life right now is not what I was prepared for. This is not what I'm prepared to do. But let me tell you something. If you can begin to see the revelation of God's plan and the next steps that he has for you, he will take us forward. And so we've been looking at that journey, that continuum of what's next. And, and as we look at that continuum, we, we first recognize that we need to know God. Without knowing God, we really can't be at peace as human beings. I believe that every one of us was created with a place and a need, a place in our hearts for God and a need to be in relationship with Him. And so first we must know God. Then we need to find freedom. As we live in God's power and by in, in obedience to Him, we find freedom from some of the things that have always held us back and the things that have kept us enslaved in the past. We talked about discovering our purpose. And once you find freedom, you can find your purpose and move forward with that. And once you find your purpose, you can make a difference. So these four steps along the journey, and my hope is that some of you have given some thought to where am I on this continuum? Where am I at? Am, am I at the point where I need to come to know God more? Am I at the point where I know God, but I need to really figure out what does it mean to live in his freedom and not just look to the end of my life for heaven, but, but to live in the freedom that God offers now? Uh, am I at the place where I, I've kind of found that freedom? I've found freedom from the things of the past and, and my old nature, but now I need to discover my purpose. What is it that God has me here to do? Or maybe you're at the point where you know what your purpose is. You're just looking for opportunities to make a difference. Wherever you are in that continuum will define your next steps and tell you 
what is next. But today, we're going to zoom in on this whole idea of finding freedom. We've started with that which is furthest away so that we know which direction to go. So we've talked about making a difference, discovering our purpose. Let's talk today about what it means to find freedom. How many of you like freedom? Raise your hand. How many of you would love it if you had complete freedom? You know the kind of complete freedom I'm talking about? The kind of freedom where nobody can tell you to stop doing whatever it is you're doing. Every married man should have his hand up right now, right now. Yeah, like for instance, I'm going to eat that whole bag of chips. I don't care what you say. That kind of freedom. You know what I'm saying? How many of you would love to just say, how many of you have done it? How many of you have eaten not a personal size bag of chips, but like a family? How many of you sat down and ate a whole bag of chips? Oh, yeah, that's so good. I'll take that over a steak almost, honestly. Chips, potato chips, Lay's, original, best thing ever. Better almost. No, I'm not going to say that. Anyway, it's, it's just good. They're just good. Perfect freedom. How many of you would love to be able to jump in your car, drive as fast as you want, and nobody's ever going to stop you? Raise your hand. Yeah, those are the people that should have been race car drivers. Wendy? Wow! Now see, okay, you got to know something about Wendy. Men, men know about the race, right? But I think Wendy is as competitive as any man I've ever known. I played kickball with her at their house one day, and she almost punched Pat full in the mouth one time when he struck out. No, I'm kidding. She didn't really do that. She's very competitive. But how many of you would love that if, if you could just do whatever you want, whenever you want? Well, that's freedom, but that's not necessarily how we get to live, right? Because sometimes when we exercise our freedom, what happens? It infringes on the freedoms and the safety and the well-being of others, you know? Most of us would love to be able to open our back patio door and just target shoot right off the back deck, but some of us have neighbors back there. We shouldn't do that, amen? Please say amen. Some of you live in subdivisions. I know where you're at. Uh, Don't do that. Sometimes our freedoms have to be tempered but there is a freedom that is beyond all other freedoms that we find when we submit ourselves and it's it's kind of a dichotomy we submit ourselves to god's will and his plan for our lives and when he reveals the way we find true freedom because the things that we really need to be free from aren't necessarily slavery to another person at least not in this generation at least not here now in some places of the world that is still a thing even here for some groups of people slavery still exists but for most of us that isn't touching us right now and we need to really pray hard and fight hard for those that it is but most of us our battle against slavery is not against slavery to another person it's slavery to the old sin nature to the part of us that wants to do the wrong thing instead of the right thing how many of you have one of those don't speak for your spouse just raise your own hand we, we have that little piece of us that sometimes wants to do the wrong thing that when that guy cuts us off on the road we just want to pass him and cut him off back amen yeah when when somebody takes something that we believe belongs to us we just want to not only get it back but we want to beat them down and make them feel the pain of what they just did you know we, we want to get revenge there's that piece of us that sometimes comes back that reminds us of, of the old sin nature and jesus came and he died on the cross of calvary to free us from that old sin nature, to free us from the bad things that we wanted to do in the past, to free us from the guilt of what we've done, to free us from the decisions that we've made before, and to lead us forward into a life that is truly free. Listen, the Jews from whom we get our faith, whether you want to admit that or not, 
the Jews that are described throughout the Old Testament of what we call the Bible today center their entire existence as a nation around one event. You know what that event is? It is the transference by God of them from slaves in Egypt out of Egypt into the promised land where they became a free nation. They find their whole identity. For years, the Jewish uh, community was just simply known as those slaves who were freed. That was their identity. And you know what? I think Christians need to claim that as well. I think we need to become known as the people who used to be enslaved, but now are free. Once we were lost, right? But now we're found. Freedom needs to be recaptured, and we have freedom because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. What he did for us allows us to live in the power of the resurrection, to live lives that are truly free. Friends, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, the, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God, the power of the cross gives us freedom. And I want to talk a little bit about that this, this morning. There is a passage in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who, who prophesied, and his story is written in the Old Testament, and he lived hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to this earth, which we celebrate at Christmas, and, and lived his life, and then died on the cross, which we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, before Jesus ever did in that, hundreds of years before that, Isaiah came, and he described what was going to happen to Jesus during the last two days of his life. And this is what he said in Isaiah 53, 5. Listen to these words. He said, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Now, this is a prophecy. Crushed for our sins. Man, I highlighted it in the wrong color, and I can't see it now. My eyes are getting old. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Friends, I believe that Isaiah's prophecy, when put side by side with the things that actually were endured by Christ, can become kind of a picture and a reminder of some of the ways that God has given us freedom. Four different areas of our lives that Jesus died so that we could have freedom from. Now, since I went way over in first service, I'm going to try to move it along. We're going to get through this thing quickly and efficiently. How many of you believe that? (laughs) There's no faith in this room at all. No faith. Anyway, first and foremost... Some of you may know the story of Jesus, some of you may not. But on the night that Jesus was taken into custody, before he was crucified, he was betrayed by a friend. Judas told the the leading uh, priests and the, the Romans where to find Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so as Jesus is with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, the the soldiers show up, armed to the teeth, like they're gonna put down some kind of rebellion. And they come at Jesus, and they're ready to arrest him. And Peter, of course, being the guy who does first and thinks later, we have some of those in our world today, he grabs his sword and he chops off a servant's ear. Thank goodness he was a terrible aim with that sword. And Jesus stops him and says, don't do that. He puts the guy's ear back on, which I don't know if I could arrest somebody who just reattached an ear with his bare hands. I'm just saying for the soldiers, I don't know that I could have done that, but they did. They arrested him. They took him into custody. They took him before the Sanhedrin. They, they tried him in a kangaroo court. They basically called um, witnesses that were paid to testify to things. They still couldn't find anything that he was guilty of until finally they just flat out asked him, are you the son of God? Are you God incarnate? Are you the son of God? And Jesus, of course, answered yes. 
And to them, that was enough. That was blasphemy. And so they drug him out of there, and they started punishing him and, and preparing him for his death, ultimately, on the cross of Calvary. But as we look at the text in Isaiah, we find almost in reverse order what they did to him and what it meant for us. The first thing that they did is they took Jesus away and they whipped him. Now, they whipped him in a way that most of us don't know. I grew up with a whip being a long black crop with a little tiny tassel at the end that my mother would use to kind of swing at the horses as she did a lunge line with them. That was the only whip my mom would allow on her horses. She would kind of whip it behind them so they'd hear it flying through the air. Very seldom did it ever touch the horses. That's the kind of trainer my mom was. That's my idea of a whip. That was not what this was. What this was was a hard handle about this long from what we know. And it had leather straps coming out of it, long leather straps. And tied into those straps at various places along the strap, there were pieces of bone and pottery and stone and anything else you can imagine that would hurt somebody. And basically when they whipped somebody, they would take that whip and they would lay it as hard as they could across the back of the person. And then they would wait till those pieces of of material dug into the flesh and then they would rip it off. And they did that over and over and over to Jesus. Now, it's interesting that he endured that during that time, but Isaiah's commentary on the whipping that he received is that he was whipped so that we could be healed. And so the symbolism here is that the whipping represents the fact that we can be healed in our bodies. It it represents freedom for your body and for my body. There is healing in the power of Jesus. Do we still believe that Jesus can heal today? Do we still believe? Now, here's the problem. Every time I start talking about healing, which I believe is a part of Jesus' kingdom coming. How many of you know the kingdom of God is already here? Jesus the first time came and said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And when his kingdom comes, his will will be done. And one of the things that God wills is that we would be healed. And so we start talking about healing. People get all crazy, though. They're like, well, my so-and-so wasn't healed. How many of you have a story like that? My mom wasn't healed. My dad wasn't healed. My brother wasn't healed. My cousin, my uncle, my friend wasn't healed. How can you believe in healing when God picks and chooses who gets healed? Let me tell you the answer in all my wisdom of 49 years. I have no idea. I have no idea why some people get healed and other people don't. Evidence that we see in Scripture says that Jesus didn't heal everyone. He healed some, but there were others that didn't get healed. Why? Friends, I don't know. Other than I do know this, there is a God in heaven who loves us and who wants what is absolutely best for each one of our lives. And we are told in Scripture that we're to take our needs before Him like children asking their father for a good gift. And that our Father in heaven knows what is best for us and will give us good gifts if we ask for Him. We are told that we can sway the heart of God. But that doesn't necessarily mean he always gives us what we ask for. Just like I don't always give my children what they ask for. Lord, help us if I did. Amen? But here's what I do know. God does heal. And sometimes he heals people in heaven. And sometimes he heals people through means that we don't expect. We talked about Pat already. I'm going to get him in tears in a minute. But Pat and I have been praying really hard for little Isaiah. We've been praying hard. This still got the band. You guys can get one from him if you want. Praying really hard for Isaiah. And, and when Isaiah was born and still had the problems he had, Pat and I had a conversation. In fact, we've had it several times since then, haven't we, Pat? How come? 
You see, the healing we wanted was the doctor look at him, oh, we were wrong, everything's fine, take him home and love on him. That's the healing we wanted, and I'm sure that's the healing his mom and dad wanted. And that's the one we prayed for, and we didn't get that. But you know what we did get? We did get a lot of little healings along the way. Because that little boy came out chubby, as has already been mentioned, and because he tolerated birth so well, Mom was able to hold him for a few minutes before they took him away. And that was not promised to her. In fact, they told her she wouldn't be able to. Can you imagine being a new mother giving birth and they whisk your baby away before you can even lay that thing on your chest? That was a healing in my opinion. Then when they took that baby away, he has been fighting one battle after another. He's been conquering one roadblock after another, jumping hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. He is slowly but surely being healed by the hands and the love of those around him, whether it's his parents or the doctors and the nurses. That little baby got to come home like three weeks early last Thursday, and Pat and Wendy finally got to get their grubby hands on their grandson last week and hold that little one. Friends, I believe God is healing that child. and We're going to keep on praying that he doesn't quit, that he keeps on healing that boy until that boy can stand up when he's 25 or 30, or 40, and say, this is what God did for me. We're going to do that. We're going to keep praying. And I know for some of you that's hard because I have a mom I really wanted to keep around a while longer. And God chose to heal her in heaven instead of on earth. But that doesn't mean he doesn't heal. It just means that God is sovereign and that he knows what is best for us. So friends, let's be free enough to believe that God still heals the body, that he still has the ability, and let's keep anointing, and let's keep praying, and let's keep lifting up the sick, because the scriptures promise us that if we lift up the sick, God hears our prayers and will act on our behalf, maybe not always the way we want, but he will answer. Listen to the scripture. 1 Peter 2.24 says this. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds, Peter said. You are healed. The whip represents the freedom that we have in our bodies through healing. Then after they had whipped him, they took him to the praetorium, which was kind of an unusual thing. They didn't always do this. They took him to this place, which was where the soldiers hung out. Now, the soldiers didn't like Jesus. You see, Jesus was claiming to be king, and they only served one king, and that king was, anybody know? Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. That was their cry. And they didn't like the fact that Jesus was a revolutionary. They didn't like the fact they had to stand guard all night at a trial. They were ticked off and angry and they took Jesus back and they did everything they could to shame him, to mentally abuse him. They blindfolded him. They would punch him in the head and say, hey, you're a prophet. Prophesy. Which one of us hit you? They spit on him. They degraded him. They took a robe, a purple robe, and put it around his shoulders and said, if you're king of the Jews, why don't you do something to help yourself? Hey, you need a crown. So they took some thorns and they fashioned a crown and they shoved it into his skull. Now, the pain physically of that must have been unbelievable. But what they were really attacking was his mind, his wholeness. They were attacking his well-being by criticizing and beating him down. It's what we call mental warfare. They were going after who he was to try to make him recant and say, no, I'm not. That's what they wanted. And I'm here to tell you that 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 crown of thorns that they put on his head and the fact that Jesus did not lose his resolve teaches us that we can have freedom in our minds. 
that we can have the peace of God even when everything else is going nuts. That we can stay mentally healthy and that we can have healing in our minds even when the world is going mad around us. Listen to John 14, 27. It says this, I am leaving you with a gift, Jesus said. Peace of mind and heart. How many of you would love to just always have peace of mind? Man, peace of mind. I love that. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. You want to know what I think is wrong with our brains today? We're trying to be fed by something that can't feed us. Okay, we're feeding our brains, and I'm as guilty as the next person. Every time I sit down, man, I'm feeding my brain social media. I'm feeding my brain the news. I'm feeding my my brain opinions of other people. And you know what I've noticed in this day and age? Everybody is willing to offer their opinion. And here's what I've also noticed. Nobody else likes anybody else's opinion. And you know what else I've noticed? That the media gurus have figured out what makes us watch. And they are feeding us a constant diet of fear-mongering. Every time you turn around, there's some crazy new threat out there. First, we had COVID, which is legit. It's a sickness. It affects people. We understand that. And we're doing our best as a church to meet together because we want to and because we believe it's right, but also to keep you safe from that. First was COVID. And then what was it next? Murder hornets? How long those things been growing in the U.S.? And they just started telling us about it. I have a feeling this isn't necessarily new. And then somebody discovers, guess what? Yosemite is a giant uh, volcano. Is it Yosemite? Is that the right park? Anyway, out there west somewhere, one of those parks, it's a giant volcano. It's going to erupt and destroy the world. You know how many thousands of years that's been a giant volcano waiting to erupt and destroy the world? Hundreds, maybe thousands, and now they're bringing it up, right? And now what's the latest? Have you heard the latest? The dust cloud! Thanks, Walt. The dust cloud is coming to get us. Guess what? Happens every year. Why? Why are they feeding us this constant diet of fear? Because we watch it. Because we pay attention. And you know what? It's divisive, it's killing us, and it's corrupting our minds. And you know what? Instead of going on and trying to prove everybody that's talking about this stuff wrong... You know what we really need to do is just stop watching it. Let it go. I'm so close to ditching Facebook completely. I have so many people that only contact me on Facebook, though, and I hate to lose track of that. But I'm so sick of seeing all that stuff. Listen, the world is trying to corrupt our minds, and it's offering a peace that the Scripture says the world cannot possibly offer. Nothing that you read on Facebook will give you true peace. But what you find from your Heavenly Father, the the healing that you get from The crucifixion of Christ and the power of the resurrection can heal your mind. It can give you peace. And it can heal you to to the degree that you will have the peace of mind, which the Bible says passes all understanding. Listen to Isaiah. He said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. You want to have freedom in your mind? The power of the resurrection is your answer. Number three, wow, it's getting late. Number three is the nails. The next thing they did to Jesus was they took him out and they nailed him to the tree. And it says they put nails in his hands. And yet most experts will tell you that it was actually in the wrist because that's the only bone that was strong enough to hold Jesus up. Well, here's the thing. In the Roman, you ever seen a gladiator movie where they walked up to each other and shook hands like this? Well, that's because the Romans believed, I'm, I know, I'm doing it opposite hand. You're supposed to do it same hand. It looks weird, doesn't it? You just, they would do that. Nobody's seen a gladiator movie. Seriously, give me a nod or something. They do this. Anyway, this whole thing 
was considered the hand. Pretty much from the elbow down, I guess. That's, that's what I, I read. And I read it on the internet, so it must be true. Um, anyway, so they would do this. But it's still the hand. It's close by there. And the feet. And so they pierced the hands and the feet. And what does Isaiah say? It says that he was pierced. He was pierced for our rebellion. In other words, when those nails went through, it was, it was in order to cover or it was because of our sins. The, the, the piercing represents freedom in our hands. And I would add to that freedom in our feet. Because they pierced his hands and his feet. And you know what the hands represent in the human body? The doing. How many of you have ever done something that you wish you hadn't done? Most of the time, those things we do happen because of our hands, right? I mean, our mind's in on the, the plot too. But, but our hands do things that they shouldn't do. Now, our hands are capable of doing great good. Sometimes we use our hands to help people and to minister to people and to build them up. But sometimes our hands get us in a lot of trouble. And sometimes our feet take us to good places like church and and, and good places like when we're out helping people and, and serving people. But sometimes our feet take us to places where we should not be. And sometimes the sin that we can't seem to get rid of acts as a chain that holds us back because we just can't forget all of the things that we've done in our past and we feel bad about it. Friends, I got to tell you, I lived a pretty sheltered life and there are things that I look back on now that I did and I just cringe inside because I'm so guilty I did them. Can I tell you about one? My older brother and I, before Ben was born, because Ben was the younger child that he was kind of the second family, we were out with our friends one day hiding behind the bushes. Oh crud, his daughter's here today. He's going to hear about this. Oh, sorry, you're going to hear about this. Anyway, we were out there. We threw walnuts. We would wait for cars to go by. We'd hide behind our hedge, which was right out by the road. And we would pile up walnuts that still had the husks on them, so they were soft a little bit. And we we would wait for cars to go by, and we would just carefully chuck them over the, the shrub and see if we could hit a car with them. Well, most of the time, our aim was really bad. But once, <laughs> we hit a truck. And that truck, when it got about 100 yards up the road, slammed on its brakes. And we saw the reverse lights come on and heard a lot of gravel. Now, I say heard a lot of gravel because by that time, we were running for our lives, man. We were up. It's like, okay, should we hide behind the hedge? No, we're getting out of here. So we hid in the hayloft. And I heard that guy come to the front door. We could hear him from all the way up in the hayloft. We hear this guy yelling at my mom, your lousy kids are out here throwing rocks at my car. And my mother reassured him that we would get the beating that we deserved or something. I don't know what she said for sure. But that guy finally left. And I was like, whoo, I had no idea what that guy was going to do. But man, it was going to be bad. So we came down out of the hayloft. And as I'm coming down, I'm so relieved that that guy left. And yet way down deep in my soul, I know that mom knows. And that mom's not going to forget. And so she lined us up, firing squad style. Did you guys throw rocks at that man's truck? No, mom, I promise. I swear, we did not throw a rock at that man's truck. Sometimes legalism can be a very good thing, amen? We did not throw a rock at that man's truck. I promise we did not throw a rock. A rock. We did not throw a rock at this. Did any of you throw anything at that man's truck? My brother David. No, mom, we didn't do it. He was a good liar. He lied all the time. I was was too scared to get in trouble to lie, so I probably finally spilled the beans. Anyway, 
it was a long time before mom let us forget that. Because moms sometimes are really hard at forgetting the bad stuff that you've done. And you know what? It was a long time before I forgot I did that. Because after I saw what a, a walnut could do to a guy's car, I felt really bad about it. And I remember that to this day. But you know who doesn't? God doesn't. Now that's a trivial example. I get it. But here's the thing. The Bible says very clearly in Hebrews... God says this, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. You know who doesn't remember your sin? God doesn't. Everything that you've ever done has been forgotten. You know who does remember your sin? (laughs) We do. And sometimes we allow it to chain us down in such a way that we're afraid to live life because we're so afraid to make another mistake. Friends, I'm here to tell you that Jesus went to the cross so you could be free from that stuff. Listen to Hebrews 9.14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Purify our conscience so that we can worship the living God. That's what it says. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. God does not remember The nails represent freedom in our hands. And finally, the last one, the spear. The spear. They came to Jesus and and he was already probably dead by that point. You see, when you died on a cross, crucifixion style, you didn't actually die from the wounds that they gave you or for the beating. They would nail you up in such a way that, that you literally had to push up with your feet and your hands in order to get a breath. Because the way that your weight would pull down on your arms... You simply couldn't breathe that way. And so people would labor there, and they would push themselves up and breathe, and then they would fall back down again. And they would push themselves up, and the pain was excruciating every time they did it. But the human will to survive is strong. And so people would sometimes labor like this for days. The Bible tells us that Jesus did what? He said, it is finished. And my my picture of that, the picture I conjure in my head from what I've learned, is that that very last time that he had enough strength to push himself up to grab a breath, he used the air that his body needed to utter the simple words, it's done, finished, it's over. And then as he allowed himself to sink, the pressure on his lungs and his heart from not being able to pull himself up any longer eventually constricted his breathing His heart stopped. So minutes, hours, we don't know how long passed, but they came with a spear. And instead of breaking his legs, as was their normal custom, for some reason, one of the soldiers decided, I'm just going to get this over with quick. And he placed the spear through his body right into his heart. And if anybody knew how to find the heart with the spear, it was a Roman soldier because they were experts at killing people. And the the spear pierced the heart, and the Bible says that blood and water flowed out. Now, a lot of people have a lot of explanations for that. The best one I've heard from a a doctor is that most likely he he had been dead for some time, and his blood began to separate, the red blood cells falling down and, and the plasma kind of floating to the top. So there were two kinds of liquids kind of pooling together but staying somewhat separate. 
that, you know, it just kind of happened because his blood wasn't pumping anymore. So when that spear came out, that all issued out, and it probably looked like there was deeper red blood and, and a lighter fluid. And, and what that tells us was that before they ever pierced his heart, his heart had stopped. It was essentially broken by the lack of oxygen and the constriction. And, and so when Isaiah says that, that he was crushed for our iniquities in the older translation, I, I got to look back and see what it says here. He was crushed for our sins. Literally, the, the symbolism there is that his, his heart was broken for us. Have you ever had your heart broken? You ever had somebody betray you? You ever offer somebody the opportunity to do what is right a thousand times and they just keep taking the wrong option? Some of you parents maybe have experienced that, grandparents. You ever had somebody just walk away from a friendship with you? You don't even know why or maybe they made it very clear why. They just didn't want you in their lives anymore. I've, I've had a broken heart a few times in my life. I'm kind of dealing one with, with one right now. I'll just be honest with you. It's nothing you need to know about, but it hurts when our hearts are broken. Do you know what Jesus died for? He died so that your broken heart could be healed again. He died so that even people who aren't physically suffering, but are emotionally suffering, who have been mistreated and, and left, who've been abandoned, can have their hearts restored. So when you put all of this together, it, it paints a pretty good picture of the freedom that we have in Christ. He, he died so that we could have freedom in our bodies and, and freedom in our minds and freedom in our hands and our feet and freedoms for our broken heart. He came to heal all of those things. And I believe that the church itself is the methodology that God gave us to help us to find the healing that we need through the resurrected Christ. One last scripture very quickly, and I promise I'm almost done. James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to each other. Now, I knew you're supposed to confess your sins to God, but I kind of like to forget about this one because I really don't want any of you knowing my sins. Amen? We don't like this scripture. We think, oh, that's for Catholics. Well, I got news for you. It's in our Bible too. Okay? Not just for Catholics. Confess your sins to each other. And listen to this. Now, don't just confess them so they can go gossip about you. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, he puts sin and healing in the same sentence. Is that interesting or what? You see, it isn't just our physical bodies that need healing. It's our sin nature that needs healing. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen to this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The Bible's system for helping us to be healed and find freedom in life is each other. We're here for each other. God provides the power for healing through the resurrected Christ. But we provide the venue. We provide the environment. We provide the place where that can happen by caring for each other the way that Jesus cared for his disciples and they cared for him. Let's pray together. I want to invite you today as we pray to just, in your own words and in your own mind, pray something similar to what I'm about to pray right now. So, so just listen to my words and, and maybe just say them to God if you feel comfortable doing that, if you feel the need to do that. If you don't, I'm, I'm fine with that. But this is just a suggestion because this is a prayer that I find myself praying quite often these days. Heavenly Father, 
I believe in Jesus, that he died for me, to forgive me, and to make me free. Here's the important part. I want to live as someone who is free. I don't want to be chained in bondage any longer. I don't want to remember my guilt. I don't want to cringe because of my past. I don't want slavery to my old sin nature, which takes away all of my options. I don't want to be the person I once was. I want to be the person that you're creating me to be. In Jesus' name.